Hi, this is Sarah, and welcome to the Sketchy Folk Podcast. All right, hello, and welcome to the first episode of the Sketchy Folk Podcast. My name is Sarah Tussing. I know Sarah is a super not helpful name. There are about a trillion Sarah's out there. You hear me. You know how it goes. But this is a podcast that I've been toying with the idea of starting for quite some time. They say to make something that you would be interested in yourself. And so this is my attempt to do so. I love making artwork. I love learning about artists. I'm the kind of nerd that loves listening to podcasts and things like that. So I'm just trying to put all that together so that hopefully there might be a few other people out there like me and they might get some enjoyment out of learning about different artists during this crazy time. So let's just go ahead and get started. I am going to, in this first episode, tell you about an artist named Chuck Jones. So there are certainly people who know me well that would be astounded that I would choose Chuck Jones as the first artist to talk about for this podcast. And that's because I typically, and don't let this scare you away, but typically I am quite the Disney person. I'm going to talk about the artist Chuck Jones, who, if you are unfamiliar, is an animator and character designer and director who's responsible for a lot of the Looney Tunes cartoons that you know and love best. So let's let's go. Let's just do it. So Chuck Jones was born September 21st of 1912 in Spokane, Washington. When he was still young, he moved to California with his parents. They grew up in, well, he and his siblings grew up in Hollywood. Um, his parents' names were Mabel and Charles, and he did have three siblings. If you were to ask him, Chuck credits his artistic talent to his father. So evidently his father was not so great of a businessman. Um, he would start a new business and immediately order a bunch of stationery with the new logo, which honestly, I totally get. <laughs> uh, I had the idea for this podcast a good year ago, and I immediately like started an Instagram page and a Facebook page and an email address and the whole shebang. And literally it's been a year before I've done anything. So I relate to Chuck Jones's dad more than I care to admit at the moment, but that's fine. Anyway, when the business would fail, he would bring home the stationery and give it to his kids, and then he would challenge them to use it up as fast as they possibly could. Chuck would oftentimes tell a story about one day when he was in art class and the professor who was trying to be all doomy and gloomy and intimidating as professors tend to do, was telling the students that they would have to make at least 100,000 crappy drawings before they had any chance of making anything decent. But instead of being intimidated, Chuck kind of felt like a weight was lifted off his chest because with all those drawings he had done as a kid, he was pretty certain he was well past the 200,000 mark. So that gave him a lot of confidence on top of what he already had. And he and several of his siblings actually went on to pursue art for their career obviously. So 
When he was younger, he was really entertained and inspired by Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton. So those are two like really slapstick style, um, I guess, comedians who would be like show up in films and such at the time. Um, he did have some jobs as a child actor in Max Senate comedies. Um, and then whenever he went to college, he graduated from the Schoenard Art Institute. And this is a school that went on later to be bought actually by Disney and kind of revamped to be CalArts, which today is like kind of El Primo school for people who want to be animators or work in the movie and television industry. So while he was there, he would work as a janitor part-time to make some money. He would also make money by drawing kind of quick portraits on Alvera Street and he would sell these portraits for a dollar. So while that doesn't sound like much, I did the conversion and at the moment, um, that would actually be like $17.60. So not too bad. His first job in the animation industry after college was thanks to a friend of his. So he had a friend named Fred Kopitz, Kopitz, be totally honest, that's, I'm not sure how to make sense of those letters there, um, who had a job at the Ubi Works studio and his friend told him that you know, hey, I can get you a job here. This is great. And Chuck Jones said, yes, please. That'd be awesome. And then his friend got him a job washing the cells. So it's kind of the equivalent of a dishwasher when you're trying to be a chef. And so if you're unfamiliar with the whole process back then, your backgrounds would be either on paper or set up in a multi-plane camera or something like that. And the actual action, the characters were drawn on these clear, they called them cells, like these clear pieces of plastic basically and that way you could see through them to the background and since there are you know 24 drawings per second for an animated film or so they went through a crap ton of these it's actually kind of funny because they would either wash them off so you're losing all these great drawings of like the original Bugs Bunny cartoons Snow White movie like just imagine that you could have some of the drawings from these great films they would either wash them off, which was Chuck Jones's first job there, or they would literally just throw them on the floor and then they would make a game out of skating on them. Just kind of do the run and slide thing, which sounds super fun. But again, just think of what these drawings were. It's just crazy. Anyway, so while he was at the studio, he met, gradually moved up the ladder, as you would expect. Eventually, he was trusted with some black and white paintings. Then he did some color ones. He became a tracer eventually where he would transfer animator's drawings onto celluloid, and then he would work as an in-betweener. So while he was moving up the ladder and working at the Ubi Works studio, he met another cell painter whose name was Dorothy Webster. And this actually ended up being his wife. In 1933, he got a job as an assistant animator for the Leon Schlesinger studio. If you aren't super familiar with that, it's not a thing anymore as far as you're concerned, they actually did kind of merged together with Warner Brothers eventually. So basically he got a job at Warner Brothers. Two years later, he was promoted to actually be an animator and he worked there under the direction of Tex Avery, which is another artist who's really known for kind of working with the Looney Tunes cartoons. Um, and there was a lot of shuffling around within that team. So initially they didn't even fit in the physical studio. They were stuck in a building next door. It was really small, it was really cramped. Um, one guy would get promoted, then another guy would get moved into his spot, then he would get moved somewhere else, and so the responsibilities would shift around a ton. And the upside to this is that even though 
they were kind of doing a lot of stuff and I'm sure it was just crazy. They got to try a lot of different things and they got to wear a lot of different hats. So two years later, in 1938, he directed his first animated film, which was called The Night Watchman. So he got to direct his first film at the age of 25, which is just awesome. Good for him, but also makes me a little self-conscious, but that's fine. Jones had the opportunity to create his first character in 1939, and then that character starred in 12 different cartoons. I don't know if I wrote what that character actually was. That seems like a, an oversight. As I mentioned, I got the idea for this podcast like a year ago, and so I did this these notes like a year ago, <laughs> and I think I just thought I would remember. Well, that's silly. Oops. But still, two years later... Or, I'm sorry, one year later, he created his first character. Jones had really become quite involved in operations at Leon Schlesinger Studios. Um, He had it pretty well, was in the good graces of a lot of different people. And so, as a lot of different companies did at the time, Leon Schlesinger kind of started to have issues with contract disputes. And Chuck Jones actually ended up being the moderator between the, you know, higher-ups and the animators and people that worked there. So, it's kind of thanks to him that things got running again and he was able to keep working and creating characters so they finally got through all that he'd risen up this ladder everything was going great and then world war ii hit so lots of studios at this time were contracted by the government to make military training and propaganda cartoons and wv was no exception but while he was doing this he met and had to work with a guy named theodore geisel which is exciting to me it's you know had a huge impact on my childhood and christmas movie watching experience um if you aren't nerding out about that name that's fine honestly i i didn't realize who it was either but theodore geisel is someone that you probably would know better if i called him dr seuss so they worked together on a series of cartoons starring an ineffective soldier named private snafu which is hilarious uh jones worked on some other films um and a campaign film for fdr so he was really put through the ringer during that time as a lot of people were so throughout the late 40s and 50s and early 50s jones worked tirelessly on new cartoons and characters um and at this time he created some characters we might be familiar with some examples are marvin the martian peppy Le Pew, wiley e coyote roadrunner and michigan j frog in 1953 Warner Brothers actually closed their studio briefly, and Jones found a job during this time at Disney. So I guess I'll be okay with him as a person. No, I'm just kidding. While he was at Disney, he worked with Ward Kimball on Sleeping Beauty for a short amount of time. And as soon as WB reopened, he was right back there. That was his team. Those were the people he was close to. And so he made sure that everyone that he worked with got their jobs back at WB as soon as they possibly could. In the early 60s, Jones and his wife Dorothy had the idea for a movie, and they worked together on the screenplay. They called it Gay Perry, which I don't get. Gay Perry. Gay Perry. Okay, Gay Perry. But it's it's a pun on Perry, like Paris, I think. I think? If anyone else gets it, you'll have to let me know, because I'm blanking. But he would go on to use the voices of Judy Garland, Robert Ouellet, and Red Buttons. A company called UPA produced the film, so they were super excited about this project. Jones was working after hours to complete it because he had a contract with WB that wouldn't allow him to, like, switch and work for a different studio. 
Um, and they worked really hard. They were so excited for those to come out. I mean, I know the feeling. You were just so pumped. But it kind of ended up as a double-edged sword scenario. So UPA, like I said, produced and released the film. But when they sent it out for distribution, WB picked it up. But upon realizing who had worked on the film, they fired Jones immediately for violating his contract that didn't allow him to work for another studio. And then, unfortunately, his team didn't last much longer once he was gone. They were allowed to finish what they were working on, but then they were laid off as well. And the entire studio was closed in 1963, which just sucks. However, Chuck Jones rallied, got it together. He's better at, you know, bad news than me, I guess. Undeterred by the roller coaster of his career so far, and having watched his father struggle when he was a child, um, he just got right back up, like I said. Um, he collaborated with a man named Les Goldman to open his own studio, and they called it Sib Tower 12. They brought on most of his old crew, and they immediately were hired by Metro Goldwyn Mayer to continue making Tom and Jerry cartoons for television. So, Metro Goldwyn Mayer is MGM, if you haven't picked that up yet. That took me longer than it should have to realize, but just to clue you in. So in 1964, MGM absorbed Jones's studio and it became MGM Animation slash Visual Arts. So while working there, his animated short film called The Dot and the Line, A Romance in Lower Mathematics, actually won an Academy Award for Best Animated Short Film. Then, as I kind of hinted at before, in 1966, The Grinch was released where he had worked with um, Dr. Seuss, with Theodore Geisel, and he continued working on projects such as the Phantom Tollbooth and the Pogo Special, Birthday Special. Um, and his career kind of bounced around a good bit. Um, different studios would close their animation departments and he would just kind of start up his own studio until someone else would pick him up. He'd done so much work and was such a big name at the time that he, I don't think he had to worry too, too much about where he was going to go next. He kind of always had work that he could do. As time went on throughout the mid to late 70s, um, he was picked up again by Warner Brothers. He was back home, and he worked on several cartoons featuring Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck. So despite all this collaboration, sometimes tensions did kind of rise between animators, which if you've ever worked with anybody, I'm sure you know the feeling. Um, in 1975, a letter was written by Jones and sent to his old friend Tex Avery. And in this letter, he complained that his new collaborator, Bob Clampett, was stealing ideas from him, from other people. Um, he said that he had taken undue credit for a character he had created and another character that was created by um, Frizz Frilling. Frilling? I'm struggling with the names today. I'll get, I'd like to say I get better at this, but we'll see. Um, and that character was Yosemite Sam. So the letter kind of doesn't seem like it really went anywhere. It kind of circulated among the animation community. I'm not sure who it was, like how it got out, but um, it kind of gave Tex Avery a bit of a bad name to some people, and then some people jumped to Tex's defense and were peeved with Jones. Um, the general consensus, though, seemed to be that different animators had different roles to play in the different personality of the characters. So even though it started off as a tiff, it kind of helped develop this culture in which so for example they could say Yosemite Sam was drawn by animator A but his personality was from animator B and then animator C helped come up with a lot of the gags that he's known for and then animator D uh, contributed his catchphrase 
it's not just one animator that created the whole thing. So in a way that was beneficial, but a lot of people weren't exactly thrilled about this perspective because some people wanted to just say, no, it's mine. I made it. It's all me. So just kind of an interesting little aside on his career there. In 1978, unfortunately, his wife, Dorothy Jones, passed away. Not too much longer after, though, Chuck married a woman named Marion Dern. Um, it was actually three years later. And she was the writer of the comic strip Rick O'Shea. As his career went on, he ended up directing over 250 cartoons for Warner Brothers. Throughout the 80s and 90s, Jones continued to work on cartoons, draw illustrations for galleries, and serve on the advisory board of the National Student Film Institute. He won several awards, including the Annie Award for Outstanding Achievement in an Animated Special Project based on his shorts in the Chuck Jones Show, the Edward McDowell Medal, and a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, which is like the ultimate to dumb people like me that don't know what all those other awards are quite yet, but we're learning. He achieved a lot of great stuff. Um, to this day, I, who, as I've said, am typically more of a Disney person, I knew who Chuck Jones was. I've known who Chuck Jones was since at least middle school. Like, he's a pretty well-known person. If you've ever watched a Looney Tune cartoon, you have seen his name. Chuck Jones passed away due to heart failure on February 22nd of 2002. So, like I said, whether you're a WB person or a Disney person or whatever, his work has certainly made you smile at least once. I know when I was a kid, I loved the Roadrunner cartoons. They were my absolute favorite. Um, his work kind of started out emulating the Disney style and then infusing it with the slapstick comedy of Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton. And in the 1940s, he developed more of his own style, pairing, it, pairing down the design and the scenery and focusing on exaggerated poses and gags. So he really created like a whole genre of cartoons, which is just awesome. So a couple of cool things that Chuck Jones has said about the cartoons, which I always think is fun. He said, my Bugs doesn't look like a rabbit. He looks like Bugs Bunny. I've often told your students that the easiest way to draw him is probably to draw a carrot and then hook a rabbit onto it, which is just fabulous. And then speaking about Roadrunner, he said, the Roadrunner did not change a lot visually over the years. He has very little personality as he is a force. I tell students that the secret of drawing the Roadrunner is learning how to draw dust. Just draw a cloud of dust and hook a Roadrunner onto it. Many people do not know there is such a creature as a Roadrunner outside Warner Brothers cartoons. An ornithologist at the University of Iowa, who is a Roadrunner expert, told me that the first question asked by her students every year is, does the true Roadrunner really go beep beep? And they do not believe her when she tells, him, tells them that it doesn't. The Roadrunner's immortal beep-beep was an accidental find inspired by the sound Paul Julian made as he blindly tried to clear a route for himself along a termite terrace corridor. So aside from this quote, that is that really packed um, building I was telling you about where um, they were always running into each other. It wasn't even part of the main studio. That's what they're talking about. Um, and it seemed unimaginable to ask anybody but Paul to record the sound, so he invited him into the studio. And I also read that we always say Roadrunner says beep beep, but it's actually meep meep, like H-M-E-E-P, meep, how meep. I find that interesting. So that is just some, some wise words from Chuck Jones about his, a couple of the characters that he worked on. So I think Chuck is a great person to look to for kind of maintaining positivity even when things aren't going your way. He 
had a couple jobs that really kind of backfired on him, didn't go so well. And he had a lot of opportunities to just be really disappointed and discouraged and to kind of give up. But he kept going. He made good connections. He stuck with what made him happy and ended up making a lot of us happy in the meantime. So props to Chuck Jones. Thanks to Chuck Jones. He's awesome. And I hope that you enjoyed his story and can get a little bit out of it for yourself. So every week when I release an episode, I'm going to release um, a daily art challenge as well. So you can draw something, paint something, make something out of clay, animate something, a cartoon, whatever you would like. But I'm going to give you a theme for each day. And then I do have a Sketchy Folk Podcast Instagram account. So you are more than welcome to um, tag us in your picture if you want to share it on Instagram. Yes, we are at Sketchy Folk Podcast. The challenge for this week is day one is rabbit. Day two is weight. Day three is gossamer. Day four is alien. And day five is skunk. So I will post that challenge on Instagram. Follow us on Sketchy Folk Podcast or at Sketchy Folk Podcast. Um, And then tag us if you do the challenge. I would love to see whatever art you make. (laughs) My husband's idea for how to sign out of this podcast was sketch you later. I don't know if I want to go with that or not. I guess we'll do it this first time. I realize I keep saying us. I guess I mean myself and my husband because he's had to listen to me talk about this for months now. Um, Whatever you want to say. I hope you follow the podcast. Give it a like. Keep up with it. Um, I will post an episode every week. So I look forward to telling you about a new artist next week. As I've said before, I am at Sketchy Folk Podcast on Instagram. Um, And if you want to... If you have any ideas for artists that you want to hear about or want to send pictures of some of your artwork or anything like that, I'm also sketchyfolkpodcast at gmail.com. So thank you for listening and I guess sketch you later. Bye.